You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 118, Zootopia. Vote Mason for president. Hello and welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts. I'm Morgan Stradling, joined live in studio with our co-host, <laughs> Chelsea Robson. Yay! And, of course, our other amazing co-host, Mason Smith. I'm in Texas. <laughs> Huzzah! So this is the Animation Addicts Podcast. It's a podcast for those who love all things animation, those who maybe didn't grow out of their animation obsession or still in the midst of their animation obsession. I hope you're still in the midst of your animation obsession if you're listening to this podcast. Right. (laughs) And I really hope that you haven't grown out of it because there's nothing to grow out of. Everything... If you like animation, we like animation. And this is the place for animation lovers. We're the friends that you wish you had so you could talk about animated films. Because yeah. I don't know if you're like me, but it's very hard to find someone who wants to talk about films like this on a very serious level. Yeah, um, and who don't like think, <laughs> those are for kids. Why did you go see that? Ugh. So that's what this podcast is about. And this episode, we are talking about a very amazing movie that just came out, Zootopia, which mm-hmm. did this past week in the U.S. and is doing quite well. It's got all the buzz. Mm-hmm. So, all the buzz. So before we get into it, do you have any updates or anything you want to say? I really just want to talk about Zootopia. Y'all should know that this is a mega, mega spoiler episode. Like, there are going to be huge spoilers, so be warned. If you haven't seen it yet, go away. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, it's International Women's Day, so shout out to all the ladies out there who are following their dreams. Hey, we have two ladies on the show. How convenient. <laughs> Yay. All right. So, um, oops. So let's hop right into it. We are going to do a nerdy dis- couch discussion, which is kind of a mini discussion to help warm us to wet the palate before we go into the main discussion about the film. Now, this nerdy couch discussion is going to be, we are going to be joined by one of our patrons and one of the members of the Rotoscopers writing staff, or the Roto team, a Roto writer named yeah. AJ. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome, AJ. Uh, AJ is one of uh, a certain level of patron where one of the perks is he gets to join us for a nerdy couch discussion, and he is our very first lucky patron. So first off, thank you for being a patron. Thanks for also being a member of our team, and it's really cool to meet you unofficially. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Yay. Right. So what we do do when we have new guests, we do something, a little game called Catch and Fire. So Chelsea, do you want to introduce what Catch and Fire is? Yes, Catch and Fire. It's actually one of those things that we've been doing since the beginning of the podcast where we are able to ask rapid fire questions to any new guest. And that's it's basically a way that we're able to get to know the new people that are coming in. So you get a little bit of a of a just kind of a knowledge of how they would fit in your life as a friend by based solely upon their answers of these 20 some odd questions. So let's get into it. Let's get dangerous. <laughs> well then, how about a quick round of catch and fire? <laughs> catch and fire? You mean me? You're the only one with enough c- 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 courage. <laughs> so AJ, are you ready? 
I was born ready. <laughs> oh, sweet. All right. First animated movie you remember seeing? The Lion King. Favorite cartoon growing up? Hmm. Rugrats. Favorite Ooh. animated movie? Ooh. Hmm. Probably Iron Giant. Favorite animator slash artist? That's a tough one, but I don't know. Chuck Jones leaps to mind really fast, so I'll say Chuck Jones. Classic animation or CGI? Um, classic. Favorite animation studio? Um, Disney. Yay. <laughs> on the perfect day. Uh, Disney or Pixar? Um, Disney. Leica or Ghibli? Ooh, Leica. Disneyland or Disney World? I have never been to Disney World, unfortunately, so I'm going to have to say Disneyland. <laughs> Princesses, Disney princesses, or Disney princes? Princesses, definitely. <laughs> Heroes or villains? Mm. Uh, villains. Stitch or Tinkerbell, who's your favorite mascot? Stitch, he's the most like me. Mickey, Goofy, or Donald? Ooh, Donald. Huey. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. I guess Huey. He seems kind of like the leader, and I like leader. People, yeah. so. Bad color. <laughs> Favorite animated dog? Oh, Snoopy. People or anthropomorphic? Anthropomorphic. Songs or no song? songs? Songs. Totally. Fight King Fergus or Stoic the Vast? Ooh, Stoic the Vast. All right, who would win in a fight, Frozone or Elsa? Ooh, Frozone, for sure. Summer releases or winter releases? Hmm. I think winter releases overall. Most of my favorite movies tend to be released around Christmas for whatever reason. Rasputin or Dr. Facilier? Ooh, Dr. Facilier. I'm actually right in the middle of watching Princess and the Frog for the first time, so he's fresh on my mind. Okay, and the most important and final question of our rapid-fire segment, which would you rather watch? The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, Cinderella 2, The Return of Jafar, or Norm of the North? Let me do a sideshow Bob shiver. <laughs> I can't do it, right? Or a Simpsons shiver, I guess. Um, I guess Norm of the North, I've never seen it, so I'd like to see it at least once to see how awful it truly is. <laughs> you will be the first and only person to ever pick Norm of the North on Catching <laughs> Fire. <laughs> Yay, I'm down in Roto history. Out of 52! Well done! All right, so thank you for doing that. Now we know a little bit about you. And we're going to go into our main discussion, or our, our nerdy couch discussion. And since Zootopia features anthropomorphic animals, we thought we would do a nerdy couch discussion on anthropomorphic animals. We've only reviewed a few films that are feature anthropomorphic creatures. Um, you know, we have done Robin Hood, which is kind of like the pinnacle of anthropomorphized people. Well, not people, animals. I keep saying, <laughs> how many times in a sentence can I say anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic? Um, but anyways, we wanted to talk about it and just how it differs. Just uh, So yeah, so let's start off there. I think a good place to start off is actually talking about the very first Zootopia, mm-hmm. where they felt the need to 
explain what anthropomorphic is. Right, like they invented the term. Right. (laughs) Some of my favorite anthropomorphic um, cartoons that come to mind right away, I'm going to talk about Rescuers and Rescuers Down Under. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of those. I, think I have an even funner way of talking about anthropomorphic animal movies. Then tell me. May I propose an anthropomorphic duel? Each of us uh, has to. It's like the Disney duel. We each take turns citing one um, animated anthropomorphic animal, <laughs> anthropomorphic animal animated movie. And if you get stumped, then you're out. And we'll give you like we'll give you like ten seconds to answer one. Perfect. I am totally. Now right, let me get my. Really yes. quick, what is our definition of anthropomorphic? Just talking okay. animals? Walk on talking, walk on two legs, and clothing is optional. Okay, all right. Okay. Feature, feature films. Are they going au natural? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will go Mason, then Morgan. No, no, Mason, and then AJ, then Chelsea, then Morgan, and back around. So get ready. This was Mason's idea. We'll give him first shot. Okay. Uh, I'll go first. Zootopia. Ratatouille. Rescuers. Robin Hood. Fritz the Cat. (laughs) Rescuers Down Under. (laughs) Puss and Boots. Hmm. Great. Now I'm a little bit stuck. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. All right. Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. (laughs) Um, an American Tale. Not bad. Fievel Goes West. Also Ooh, you bad. stole my next one. <laughs> hmm. Where's clothes? The Aristocats. No, nope. no, no, no. No, Cinderella has mice that walk on two feet and wear clothes. As anthro-mice? Okay. Um, I'm going to do... Um, the, the Prince and the Popper, because, like, technically Mickey Mouse is an animal and he's anthropomorphic. True fact. Should we eliminate, should we eliminate Mickey Tunes from this? Because there's, like, a bazillion of those. Yeah, feature-length animated films. But just use it for me. <laughs> uh, oh, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Secret of Nim. Ooh, Nim! <laughs> Pebble and the Penguin. Oh, not bad. We're going away from Disney. Uh, saludos, amigos. Okay, surf's up. Space Jam. They don't count. We're going to go with... Five seconds. Dang it. I've blinked. Oh, this is my worst game. Chelsea's out of there. All right, everybody recuperate, and it's Morgan's turn. All right, so how about The Adventures of Mr. Toad? Oh, Ichabod, Mr. Toad? That was pretty good. Once Upon a Forest. (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) So bad. (laughs) Anthropomorphic movie. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let me see. It is that one. Oh, all dots go to heaven. Carface walks on two feet. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right, Morgan's turn. Rock a doodle. Oh, rock a doodle. Oh, that's a good one. Like your go-to. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, no pressure. Um, 
Jeez, I can't think of any right now. Dang it, Watership Down's not anthropomorphic. Uh, I quit. I, I didn't get it. Okay. Quits. Ah, oh, just AJ and me battling it out. Let's see. All dogs go to heaven too. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, Anastasia has Bartok, who walks on two feet. Works for me. Oh, I should have said bed knobs and broomsticks. Well, then. Hmm. Let's see. I was about to say all dogs go to heaven again. Um. Let's see. Is jungle morphic? It's like half. No, it's really not. Does Baloo have a vest? No, no. Okay, then no. Well, they could be naked. We've established that. They don't walk up to you. Oh, sorry. Uh, your mercy time has ended. You've got 10 seconds. Okay, let's do the princess and the frog. They stand on two feet. Oh, yeah, there is a trumpet playing crocodile, so that... That's <laughs> <laughs> The epitome of playing instruments. <laughs> um, I'm going to say bed knobs and broomsticks because Mason didn't say it, but he gave it as an option. That's a gimme. All right. So there you go. Take that. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to say, wait a minute. Did we decide that the Jungle Book didn't count or that it does count? Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Go, go, go. Okay. Oh. Oh, uh, I'm stuck. And I lost. <laughs> to prove my dominance. <laughs> great again wins. Yeah, I did yes. not. I did not think I would do good at that. So yeah. I'm impressed. Oh, and look at. Okay, now now I'm actually looking at the comments, and there are some ones that other people mentioned: the Adventures of American Rabbit. Well, cats Chick- don't dance. That's a, such a good one. Chick- oh, cats don't dance. Tailspin. Tailspin. Is that a movie? No, it's a TV, TV show, show. But uh, I'll give you points for awesome. Oh, we could have done DuckTales, the Lost yes. Lamp movie. Yes. Uh, Blue is in a vest in Tailspin. That's, That's the one. I, <laughs> I just see Blue in a vest. <laughs> oh, the Chipmunk Adventure. Oh. oh. I'm glad none of us. Um, do Smurfs oh. catch the animals? Do, how about trolls? I was trolls. Yeah, they're more toys. Oh, toys. What are you thinking with that? Troll is more yeah. So, anyways, anyways, that was very, very. How fun. about we're back? Does we're back? Yes, yes. Yeah. Dinosaurs are technically animals. Yes, they are. They are creatures. Dinosaurs, though. So, like, Barney is anthropomorphic, but are the dinosaurs and we're back anthropomorphic? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I really think it's interesting how the the more the more the animals walk and talk. Oh, Horton hears a who. Um, the more the animals walk and talk and wear clothes like us, the more their story it seems to be meant to resemble, resemble our story. We'll talk about this later, but I think Zootopia is an extreme case of that. But sometimes with these anthro movies, you can't help but think, hey, so is this animal supposed to be this group of people or this politician or this kind of person? So I don't know. What do you, what do you all think about that? Do you think it gets more uncanny and a little more um, meant to resemble human society? the more anthropomorphic they go. As though it's like fable-ish. I, I never particularly have gotten that vibe. I think sometimes even if they are human or if they're animals like the Lion King, I, I don't feel that that distances me more from the moral of the story or the theme. Yeah. 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 I, I, down is <laughs> one of the most political movies out there. And, and they're, it's so naturalistic. So you're right. I think I think there really isn't, it goes through both extremes. It can it can really harbor this this metaphor, this message. 
I think it works on me like almost on a subconscious level. Like when I look at a movie like Robin Hood, I don't really think about, oh, these are foxes that I'm watching or other animals, but that's the Robin Hood I know. That's the one that's in my mind. Yeah, I think very quickly, you know, we're introduced to the characters and we say, oh, Robin Hood is a fox. Uh, Maid Marian is also a fox. Lady Cluck is a chicken. And then you kind of move on and, and then think of them as human-esque characters yeah. that just happen to be in this world where other animals are around and they walk on two legs and whatnot. All right, all right. So what, what is the draw with anthropomorphic characters? Why, why do we do it? Animal puns are easy, cheap gags. True. I'm just saying. You know, one time um, when we were talking, I think it was Steve Hickner, how you were interviewing him, and the reason why he made some of his, when he was writing his book, the reason why he made the characters in his book animals is because then it was no longer uh, subject to, I can look at this as a male or female or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't, take offense to anything i can yeah. put in this in a secondary point of view which means that i'm more acceptable to whatever somebody is trying to teach you ah, so instead of being like that that guy reminds me of this person in my life it's more like am i like that dog or am i like that cat right so, that, like, i never want to cat. Brown, she has brown hair therefore it is not me obviously <laughs> Right. They wear glasses. I, w- I would never wear glasses. I- I'm not like that character. <laughs> that is not. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also kind of a built-in appeal to it. Like, we've been puppy-sitting at my house lately, and, and everybody loves a puppy. And and I was thinking about that because I knew that this was going to be their nerdy couch discussion, and I was thinking there really is a lot of love for animals, like, right away. Like, mm-hmm. Like, I think I like anthropomorphic animals a little bit more quickly. Like, I was thinking, like, I think Judy Hopps in Zootopia is one of the most likable characters in any Disney movie. And Amen. I think that's largely because she's a rabbit. You know, like, oh, bunny. <laughs> you know? I think like, she, uh, you can't call her cute, remember? Um, I true. think she could possibly even cuter than Anna from, um, from Frozen. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> Fighting words in frozen country. Yeah, I, I totally I agree with what AJ's saying. Animals, there is this draw that humans have to animals. They're kind of they can be our companions, they can be our friends, they can also be very terrifying and ferocious. And so it's also another easy way to, like Chelsea said, to tell this allegory because a, a lot of times in these anthropomorphic type of films, especially you know, I'm looking back at Robin Hood, the good guys are usually like the less you know, fearsome animals, or, you know, if you're poverty stricken or you're the one that is being downtrodden, it's typically one of the, the prey animals, not the predator animals. And they always show like the king is the lion. And the lion is always the big, the big man is always the lion. <laughs> you know, and so I think it's an easy way because we have these uh, preconceived notions and, and stereotypes, even with animals and what they represent. So it's easy for us to tell a story by using those stereotypes that already exist. Like, oh, the lion is very brave and strong and it mm-hmm. leads. So it should be a mayor or it should be king or whatnot. And the then the fox is clever yes. and a sneaky. Mm-hmm. So, so then we the weasel can... and the weasels are always the weasel. <laughs> and the weasel's always the weasel. <laughs> it is true. So that's just an easy way for them to kind of tell a story and, and really invoke a response or reaction yeah. just by the type of animal that they're using. Yeah, also, or 
Uh, storytelling and animation is about archetypes, and animals have these almost mythological archetypes. They're not stereotypes; they're like archetypes because they're it's in their biology, right? <laughs> Which is a big no-no apparently in Zootopia. But um, uh, but yeah, like that's I think that's sort of the appeal of anthropomorphic animals because it's like. I remember when they were doing in production for Robin Hood, they were going to make Friar Tuck a pig, but they thought that that would be a disrespectful image of a friar in the Catholic Church, and so they changed him to a badger, something a little more neutral. And so that's an example of how, you know, certain animals just have this aura or have this like traditional feel about them. Hence, the lion being in charge. It can also be like parts of our personality. So our personality, I may have the lion side of my personality, but I may have the kitten side of my personality, you know, so it's um, ways of, of differentiating um, size and, and grandeur in a very simple way. Speaking of symbols with animals, it's interesting to note that in Zootopia, the mayor is a lion and the assistant mayor is a lamb, you know, and so that's like definitely a biblical Christian reference to the lamb and the lion, like working together and existing together. So I, th- I don't know if that was intentional, but I think that might, there might've been some symbolism there as to like what they had accomplished in Zootopia, like at the beginning of the film. So, Yeah. And I think that runs all the way through the movie. Like if you were going to have any animal be kind of a con artist or something like that, you would think of a Fox like right away. Yeah. And so, and like, kind of like we were talking about before in a way that kind of drives a theme of Zootopia home because you look at yourself and you think, am I guilty of these same things that these other animals are thinking? You know, like the stereotyping and stuff like that. I think it's just an interesting way of driving the point home. Yeah, that's another testament to how complex this film is. All right, so last point on the Nerdy Couch discussion. Do you want to take this one, Morgan? Absolutely. So can we just – you can't – you know, this is the the elephant in the room or the furry in the room. (laughs) We can't talk about anthropomorphized characters and creatures and movies without talking about the without talking about the furry subculture that is out there on the internet, and it is a thing. So they were, um, so happy. they were so happy when this movie came out. Like they were pretty much convinced that Disney made this movie for furries. Like people were literally twi- tweeting on Twitter, "This is our moment." <laughs> like. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've been on uh, Rotten Tomatoes trying to unlock the um, the public reaction or, or, or figure out the puzzle of the public reaction to Zootopia. And this is one audience um, audience review that just gave it one half of one star. <laughs> he said, almost everyone in the audience was in a fursuit and they started barking in the theater. This was nothing but furry porn and crappy audio. <laughs> Stay away. I was like, yikes, this guy had a bad night. <laughs> And go into this furry yes, culture. Explain to me. I've never heard of the furry culture. Ooh. Right. I am very sorry to any furries who are currently watching this review. Um, I am not your ambassador. I do not sing the song of your people. I will try to explain in the most sensitive and objective way possible. But these are people who um, have take. They put on um, furry suits, sometimes homemade, uh, to resemble like a, a cute fox or a, or a dog or a wolf. You know, and um, it's not just the suit. When they put on the suit, it's it. They put on an alter ego. They become someone else. So, uh, a lot of these people who sometimes can be dealing um, with uh, social anxiety and, and social problems. There's a lot of social stuff going on with these people. 
they um this new furry persona allows them to act out and and be themselves or be another per- person and so for some people it's kind of a crutch it, it, it's somewhere in between the suit is a crutch and the suit is therapy for them and and um you know we love to hate the furries and um you know i'm sure their struggle is real or or whatever i don't know i should stop talking but that's what a furry is they will yeah, you know, furry not- conventions they have furry outings they'll walk around in public and um and um, and that's what they are. But apparently they loved this film. And I don't know, for some reason, a lot of them started howling during theater. So I guess you have to kind of act like the animal you want to um, you want to be. I hope I didn't uh, I hope I didn't offend too many people. I'm going to refresh the YouTube video, see how many people have disliked the video. Oh, no, never mind. We're still good. We're still good. So it is a subculture for just a way to express yourself in okay. a different way. So, you know, you have people who go online and they go to World of Warcraft right. and they take on that persona or you go to, you know, there's a place called Second Life uh-huh. where you sort of like Sims and you create a world for you. And if I'm a, you know, a girl in this life, but I want to be like a biker man, you know, with tattoos or you know, the completely opposite of what mm-hmm. I am, I can take that on in another life. And that's kind of what the uh, part of the furry fandom is whether it's actual, dem- you know, demonstration through going to cons and events or whether it's through my online persona with a different avatar that I select, like I'm a cute fox or whatnot. So okay. um, there uh, is a thing that it, it can be very NSFW in the fan art. <laughs> so do not Google it um, because... Was like- a, there was a GoFundMe campaign to stop all the NSFW fan <laughs> art of Zootopia before the movie came out. Saying that, and this was actually by a an alleged furry saying that this gives our community a bad image because we're not all about this, right? I had to mention, you know, furry because that is one thing. Like furries do love anthropomorphized, you know, but, art and films because it is that representation of what they love, right? And this. It actually, and I read this on Wikipedia, of course, but they actually did try to reach out to part of the furry community, and they set up a meetup um, from different members trying to promote the film as, like, a way to do some viral marketing. So that that's kind of the tie-in. Interesting. Right. I mean, right. I've never even known that this exists. Yes. There is a thing there for are, everything. There, yeah. <laughs> that's so- to be totally objectively speaking, these are cosplayers who prefer to put on the identity of different animals. But okay. get is that why were they so gaga over this movie? Because when the animals in Zootopia aren't people in suits, they're actual animals that are acting like people. So is there some sort of like they're like anti furries. This is the anti furry movie. These are not people who want to be animals, they're animals who are people. So this is the ultimate furry movie because <laughs> Furries want to become people, or as as human as possible, while still have still having fur and scales and you know slithering tongues. Yeah. What are your thoughts, AJ? Yeah, AJ. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's largely because it's more of a modern or like more of a real world type of anthropomorphic movie than most of them are. Because I was wondering the same thing, like why this movie in particular, when there's like a ton of other anthropomorphic movies. And I think it's largely because the animals live in a city, like, well, kind of like ours, <laughs> and they go and they have jobs and they do typical human things, like, I think even more so than most other anthropomorphic movies. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just that question of being relatable. They're able to relate on that level. Very mainstream. It is Disney. Yeah. You know, when Disney does something, it's, you know, everyone's going to see it. Right. So. 
So anyways, any last thoughts on anthropomorphic films? What are your favorite anthropomorphic films? We'll close it up with, with that and give us your last thoughts. Robin Hood, hands down, clo- closely followed by Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ooh, I forgot about Fantastic Mr. Fox. Now this decision is going to be hard. Uh, um, I guess it's a toss-up between Fantastic Mr. Fox and the Rescuers Down Under. I love adventure movies, so and that's like the ultimate adventure movie. <laughs> and it happens to feature anthropomorphic animals, so so much the better. <laughs> nice. Let's see, for me, oh, I don't know. Probably Secret of Nim. Just like looking at movies that I'm like, this is a cool movie. But, you know, anthropomorphic as far as like, this is anthropomorphic. Definitely Robin Hood is the first one that comes to your mind. Yeah, I can't. I have to say Robin yeah. Hood because it's it's the ultimate Disney movie. It's so quotable. And mm-hmm. you know, it, I do think it epitomizes just this yeah. trend. And I think when people are making anthropomorphic films, they do look to that as an example of a good one. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Ernesto says an American tale, and Rachel Wagner says a great mouse detective is up there. Yes, it is. All right. So thank you so much for joining us for this nerdy couch discussion. AJ, any last thoughts before we let you go? Um, not really. It's still kind of surreal that I'm here. <laughs> Never thought I'd be on the show. But thank you for. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. This is awesome. And, you know, thank you for being a patron. And this was a good idea. I liked having guests for the show. So maybe we'll bring you back one day. Thank you. Zootopia, a gleaming city where animals of all breeds, predator and prey alike, live together in peace and harmony. Yeah, well, we're loud. Don't expect us to apologize for it. ZPD's first rabbit officer, Judy Hopps. You ready to make the world a better place? Bad news in this city gripped by fear. What can you tell us about the animals that went savage? Are we safe? This is Priority One. Hops parking duty. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, I'm not just some token bunny. You strike out, you resign. Deal. to ask you some questions about a case. Then they should have gotten a real cop to solve it. You are under arrest. For what? Hurting a few wings? You are a key witness. No, he is. Hey, I need you to run a plate. All right, I know a guy. You need something done, he's on it. They're all slots? We are in a really big hurry. I am on it? Break. I have 36 hours left. We can only solve it together. It's not about how badly you want something. It's about what you are capable of. I am a real cop. Never let them see that they get to you. You bunnies. So emotional. No, 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 no. Do not let go. I'm going to let go. What? We may be evolved, but deep down... We are still animals. Quit it. You're going to start a howl. No, you are naked. For sure. We're a naturalist club. All the way down. Life's a little bit messy. We all make mistakes. 
no matter what type of animal you are, change starts with you. We gotta go. Whose car is it? The most feared crime boss, Mr. Big. Is that Mr. Big? Stop talking, stop talking. Huh. I saw. Oh, I got it. Moving on to our main discussion, we are going to be talking about, which we have referenced on and off throughout this episode, we are going to be talking about Disney's Zootopia, which was just released, like I said, in the U.S. this past week on March 4th, 2016. It was previously released in a few other countries um, a few weeks before this, and so, yeah, let's jump right into it. So I'm going to give some basic information about the film, which has been obtained from the good old Wikipedia, because it has that little sidebar on the side, and that's all I need. I need the <laughs> studio, I need the directors, I need the budget, and how much is made. Poof. So thank you, Wikipedia. If you have not contributed to Wikipedia, I recommend donating a dollar. We all use it. Let's be real. And if it went away, I think we'd be pretty sad. I would be sad, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the directors were uh, Byron Howard, Rich Moore, and we also had a co-director, which is Garrett Bush. So before I go on to anything else, this whole concept confuses me because originally it was Byron and Rich, uh-huh. uh, and I would think they would be co-directors, right? Or well, Jared was one of the writers of it. And so like in what Frozen, when they brought on... Um, Jennifer Lee. Jennifer Lee as one of the, she was one of the main writers. And so they brought her on because she was such integral in the story. They brought her on as an actual co-director. But why are they not listed as co-directors? Because technically they are a co-director. Yeah. Why don't they have co-director next to their name, right? Because they're like a director shakeup there almost at the end, like the last year of production. They what? made some like story changes. They make changes. There was no changes in the directors. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this is Byron Howard's idea. Um, he had basically, uh, he directed Tangled, and this was one of the, after Tangled, one of the very, nearly five years ago, this was one of the ideas that he presented. Now, I had the opportunity to interview the producer of Zootopia, Clark Spencer. He came yeah. to he was doing some uh, press circuit, and so I was part of a round table, and I'll include a link in the show notes so everyone can read that. It is awesome because he went into such depth and, and there are really great questions that were asked and yeah. about the beginning and the metamorphosis of, of this film. And initially after Tangled, Byron Howard said from the very beginning and he said, I want this to be an anthropomorphized film. Um, so he definitely went even five years ago when it was just a concept, this was something that was very critical to him and his idea. The later Rich Moore who directed Wreck-It Ralph was brought on more when it, um, you know, a few years later after Wreck-It Ralph and then released. And then, obviously, Garrett Bush was added as well. So um, the budget is not known at this time. I'm sure with more uh, time we will know that. But as of today, I'm recording this, it has made $223.9 million in the box office, which I'm pretty sure it didn't cost that much to make. So, boom. Was that worldwide? That's that's worldwide so far. (laughs) Okay. It did um, break Frozen's record for opening weekend. So this is gonna over this is totally gonna overtake frozen i you know what it, it, has everyone, been, it will overtake minions it has been a lot of frozen's records however i don't think it's going to beat frozen's billion dollar record yeah i don't i feel like this is one that just by the sheer fact that frozen is princess yeah i, I don't know i feel like it's gonna be the one 
it'll be longer to beat. Yeah, I think this film's going to have a very, very, very good cinematic oh, run, yeah. but it's not going to... Remember, Frozen's was sort of like Titanic, where it was four months later, and it was still right. number one. I think this is going to be very, very strong for a few weeks to a month to two, and um, go from there. So, But yeah. don't let me limit you, Zootopia. If you want to be a billion-dollar movie, yeah. you can do it. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> we are all for that. I would actually be really, really excited if they did... Um, hit and break all those record records because it does um, if it wrecked all all those records I just I'm really a big fan of this directorship Rich Moore has been one of my favorite cartoon directors for the last 20 years once I realized like what he did I was like you are one one of my top guys I love you and um, Byron Howard he's definitely younger and newer to the games and and yet he's had a lot of really good really good success and a lot of really great ideas and so them together for me was one of the big excitement coming up to this movie even months ago when when we weren't really hearing all of the details or all of the hype like now everything is all hype but months ago when there was just a little bit of hype i was like really excited about this movie because of the directors yeah so yeah, it's been doing good. And uh, before we start our, our formal analysis, I just want to uh, do a, a very special shout out to the twenty-somethings who were sitting behind us in the theater last night, and who were talking the whole time and giving us very loud commentary. I really appreciate how much you talked during the film, especially given how much I spent of my hard-earned money on this film to watch this movie, only to hear you talk loudly and disrespectfully the whole time. I just want you to know that your commentary was really valuable. And so poignant and so intelligent that I think that Disney should hire you and put your loud, squeaky, annoying voices in the commentary track for the video release. So thank you. Thank you very much for disrupting my theater experience. Back to you guys. How did you make your screen bigger? (laughs) (laughs) If you are not watching the video version of the podcast, you need to go and find that moment in the podcast and watch it. Just that part. Uh, It'll be worth your while because that was an epic moment. I I almost don't want to go to the theater anymore because people have so little respect for the rest of us. They think that they think that the movie is there to comment on the whole movie. I can't. I I'm a huge fan of of horror movies. I can't even go to see horror movies. I'm not even going to see The Witch in theaters. I'm just going to wait till it's it's video release. But I don't know, man. People just have zero respect for and and something needs to be done. I would actually. I never. I never talk about this, but I would actually approve federal regi- legislation to regulate how little you can talk during a, mo- a movie screening. I would even go to that length. But anyway. Heard it first. Wow. Dictator <laughs> Mason. If I'm elected president, no one will talk during movies. There will be trap doors beneath every theater seat. And if you talk, I will pull, people will pull the lever on you. Anyway. So Zootopia, I think we need to acknowledge um, the other elephant in the room and that this film is obviously about the evils of walking around naked. There, I said it. Deal with it. Whoa. Didn't realize this was a this film. Was all a, a gigantic social commentary about nakedness. Hmm. You know, I'm going to have to rewatch this whole movie with that perspective. Anyway, but in, in all seriousness, I think 
unraveling the phenomenon of Disney's Zootopia starts with this fact. It is quite possibly Disney's most relevant and most contemporary animated film of all time. These animals in the film are literally us. The meta- the length of the metaphor is so paper thin. <laughs> um, there's so many references to real life things, and I love that the animal jokes and the animal puns are seen in the world creation more than cheap dialogue like gags, mm-hmm. like Zuber instead of Uber. You know the the carrot logo on Judy's phone, you know for Apple, and then like the bootleg fills where he's like, "I got the ones that aren't even out yet." He's <laughs> got like. Zootopia Moana, Zootopia um, Giants. Was on there. Yeah, <laughs> gigantic. What was another one that that Shanna pointed out? Um, it was like Hoofington Post or something. I don't know. So uh, you, you could even make them up. There's all sorts of fun stuff, and just the fact that it was it was so um, it was so true to real real life, like today, cutting edge jokes. Well, if you have if you are a follower follower of the the Disney animation Instagram account, which I totally recommend because they put out great stuff every time, every time that any of these movies comes out, they always have some great, great things. And for this one, they've been putting out a lot of fake movie art, which is something that's not new. I mean, a lot of movies have done that, but they really, the animal puns in this are just fantastic. So go check them out. Give them a follow. Oh, the the Easter eggs um, page for this film is going to be crazy. Mm. Yes. Very, very, very long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So talking about that and how it was very self-referential to our real life, the real modern society that we live in, how did you feel about that? Because um, in my interview with Clark, he mentioned that they they acknowledge that these references might not make sense in 30 years. And that is something that I thought when you're mentioning Zuber and the, the Apple phone, you know, Right now, it's totally relevant, and it is part of our world. Um, but in 30 years, are we going to look back like we do with many films and think, oh, that's super dated, that's old, because they didn't care. Um, I personally feel that it does slightly cheapen the film, just because I, I prefer when films are kept timeless in a way. Um, but Disney's done this you know, 55-plus times before with other films. I mean, why not have a little fun this time around and... And don't worry, Moana's going to be very timeless. Yeah. Oh, yes. And you know what? We may have said this back, you know, in the 50s and 60s when 101 Dalmatians came out. Like, wow, such a contemporary film. Uh, and, and we look back at that, and maybe that's because that era is now considered timeless in mm-hmm. a way. Maybe not. Uh, I don't look back. 2016, guys. It'll live forever. Do you think people ever refer to the year 2016 as a timeless era? Uh, <laughs> That's fine. We're going to do uh, we're going to do Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet set in the timeless period of 2016. <laughs> you know, like that just sounds so weird to me. But anyway, it might happen. Well, I'm right now. If you th- have you thought about it, we are in the teens of this of these years. In four years, we're going to be in the 20s. We can no longer say back in the 20s. We can still say back in the 20s. Well, you can still say it, but, you because know. Because we have to be out of the 20s to talk about back in the 20s, right? So it's only in the 30s out of the 20s. Is the problem. I will say that <laughs> I have definitely been the, that person who said back in aught five. I say that. Yes, I do. Yeah. And it makes me happy. <laughs> also, Duke of Weaseltown. Oh. Anyway. Um, so good. So, Amazing. 
know it's another part of like unlocking the like phenomenon of Zootopia is that it's crazy because it took the formula that so many animated films before it have tried, but we all roll our eyes out like we reject it. And I'm talking about the blatant pop culture references, the the like a huge amount of big name Hollywood stars on your cast, you know, music featuring, you know, contemporary pop singers, you know. At least they recorded a new track for this film, not used old, you know, pop songs. And then the mandatory character dance party at the end. Like, you think I could very well be describing Madagascar or um, Nomeo and Juliet or Shark Tale, you know? Um, so how come how come viewers rolled their eyes at these films being like, oh, they always have to have the dance party. They always have to have a ton of irrelevant Hollywood stars, blah, blah, blah. So how come they rolled their eyes at those films, but everybody seems to be embracing Zootopia for using the exact same ingredients. Chelsea, in the back. <laughs> so I realized it was because they worked it in through the whole thing. Because they brought Shakira or, you know, well, Gazelle in there as the pop star from the beginning. They kind of built it up. She was a presence and she was that thing off to the side. And one, everybody wants to go to her dance party. Everybody wants that app to dance along with the tigers, you know? So it, I think that that was one of the main things is it, everyone was kind of like, yeah, let's go. So it wasn't necessarily a, all right, guys, it's a wedding. We're going to dance party. You know, I think another reason is because it wasn't, um, like the central thing, like, oh, we got to do all these gags. We got to do this. I think they focused on the story first and making sure that the story, which happened to be set in a modern time, mm -hmm. that was set, that was good. And then from, and I, maybe this wasn't, maybe the pop culture or some of the gags came before the story, because we know that the story was kind of revamped about a year ago. But I felt like, cause the story was the main focus. It allowed us to have some fun with these ancillary elements rather than vice versa. I think a lot of times if you have a poor story, you might try to overcompensate by like, let's just throw in this gag or this thing or this or that or fart joke or dance party at the end, which doesn't work because by that point you're already irritated and frustrated while this just seems like a fun. Okay. All right. So it wasn't, it wasn't all about that, those ingredients to the, to the formula. No, if, if I were to describe this film, I wouldn't even describe it very much as pop culture-y. It's just, it's whatnot. Just literally 2016, the yeah. animal movie. Yep. But anyway, I mean, it's not like a Gazira or no Gazelle is the main character. She's just like in there a few mm -hmm. times. Anyway, they, they gave her, I think, a good amount. I mean, the fact that they had her in there as that. She was protesting at the end, like she was like an ambassador for, um, you know, for. Celebrities love to do. Yeah, that's what celebrities love to do. <laughs> and. Uh, I know. And um, so anyway, uh, I think she fit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that some of it might be um, pre pre biased towards Disney, but I, I think that'd be too cynical to actually make that my only reason for why Zootopia pulled it off while other films haven't. But anyway, so the animation itself was phenomenal. Like, I was blown away by the animation. I would even say, like, it has some of those flawless CG animation that I've seen in a while. I think the last film where I was, you know, as a person who studies animation, like semi-professionally and like academically and all that stuff, not that I'm like a huge deal or anything, but I, I do pay attention to stuff. I think Tangled was the last CG animated film where I really felt like um, I was watching characters that were alive, that were, just, that were living. I, I really don't think Wreck-It Ralph approached this level of, of, 
of really effective animation and i don't know why and and um but anyway the, the rigging and animation team for zootopia deserves huge congratulations and um i think i think one of the uh i think one of the most effective characters probably the most effective character was judy hops because her personality was just so clearly there like you get her shape language in her like the character model is she's very circular because <clears throat> she's just that kind of character but it, it's in the way that she walks it's in the way she speaks um her facial expressions and then you contrast that with Nick Wilde, who's very uh, angular because he's supposed to be sinister and the bad guy. Um, he's rough around the edges. And um, I like his animation because he usually leads with the head and his spine, torso, and hips follow. So he has not a serpentine motion, but he has a very predatory motion leading with his head. And um, obviously, uh, and I, I did hear a rumor that his uh, animation was like supposed to be modeled a little after Robin Hood, but I don't, I don't know how authentic that is. Even when Judy delivered her dialogue, there were, like, zero, like, gaps. There was no empty space while she was talking. You could see every thought process, like, every every intricacy of her feelings um, there in the performance. And um, that's just amazing. And y'all got to realize that, yes, the, audi- the artist, the animation artist pulls it off, but there is a team of technical people who make it so that they can pull off those emotions and those people can never be overlooked because I'll be one of them one day. <laughs> Let's keep Mason a job. <laughs> One thing that I think is really important when we're talking about this film and the characters and the story is that the story changed uh, over time, as mo- most most animated films do. But this one, particularly, about a year before the release date, you know, even just last year, 2015, it went a major overhaul. And I did talk to uh, Clark Spencer about this in my interview, and he says it was um, he considered that one of his greatest achievements in the film is when they realized the story wasn't working because what initially happened was the story was about Nick and he was the main character and the protagonist. Um, and then he and Judy get framed for, you know, something and they have to work together. And Judy is already on the force and whatnot. Um, but they realized very quickly that he, we're telling you that Zootopia is this amazing place with all this great things, that it's a place where you can do anything. And then we're featuring a main character who doesn't believe that because um, of his backstory and what has happened to him and the stereotypes that have been played into for him in his life. And so it was hard for the, the audience to believe him and to care because he was so cynical. Why would I root for you? And so um, Mark Spencer said one of his you know greatest ac- achievements in the film was when they realized it wasn't working, that he was calm, he didn't freak out, and he allowed the directors to take the movie and the story where it needed to be. Isn't that great to hear a producer say that? <laughs> Oh yeah, a lot of times guys say that. A lot of producers say no. You know, we got to stick to the course. You know, it's a, a year out. We, we know this is somewhat working. Um, I think. Uh, I think producers sometimes have the stereotype of being the suit, meaning the money guy who's in charge of production, and make sure the schedule's on, on schedule, and that you know we have the right amount of bodies and money going into this. You know, and he is an MBA from Harvard. You know, so that's like very stereotypical suit. Um, and so there's kind of this uh, stereotype about producers that they don't understand the creative process and just talking with him. I mean, he clearly loves the studio, the film, the process, and I'm glad, you know, he, he and the team did that because having Judy as the main character is, is absolutely why this works. Everyone loves Judy. They say, oh, she's such a great character. You relate to her. You, and she's, she's wonderful. Yeah. 
Yeah. She's like Anna. She's flawless with flaws. Eh? <laughs> it's a good one. Um, you, you know, and this film, while some of the, the themes are things we've seen before, I mean, we've all seen, like, the wide-eyed newcomer who goes into the new place and thinks that the world is their oyster and they can do anything. And then the real world takes over and they realize, man, it's not... It's not what I thought it was, and they get down on their dumps and and whatnot, and then at the end they're able to overcome and and achieve. Um, that's very stereotypical as far as a plot line goes, but just the way that they were able to tell that story was so much different because of the buddy cop aspect and the mystery and well, utopia. I, I feel like they got that out of the way. Like they, yes, that was the story for the first twenty minutes. And then the story changed and it was no, that was no longer the main focus of her coming in feeling, um, feeling like she was kind of down and out, but now it's, it's her overcoming, but not only overcoming, but also it comes into the whole suspense thriller, like mystery solving thing. It's gritty. It's like noir for animals. Yeah. And it just goes, it, 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 route that you don't expect and that is so not one of those that's um it's so not what you would expect to come out yeah and um yeah it's like uh it's like the maltese falcon is though at the at the end they have the night howling they're like what's this and and judy's like the stuff that dreams are made of anyway um but anyway i um i thought the movie was great and uh, as a whole and what I really like is that there's so many kooky characters in this film. I I have a breakout character that I really thought um, really shined through in this film, and that was Clawhauser. He was like a huge breakout character for me. I think he was pretty hilarious. Like he was really cute, and I love just how into Gazelle he was, and all this stuff. And he was just like very happy, like very sensitive to others, and and things like that. Um, Clearly, the opposite of what. Hmm. The- Breaks the mold of the pushy uh, secretary or the board secretary, well, and, and the fact that he was police officer, police officer, and he was one of the um, predators. Predators, and he was a predator, which is significant because when you see how um, Judy's um, kind of irresponsible remarks at the press conference affect him, it's really heartbreaking because you get to see um, the effect on on someone as as uh, as nice and gentle as he is. Just likable in general. He's super likable. Um, and then the uh, the only thing that I thought was really weird was like, okay, so the old donut lodged in the neck fat gag. Like, I get it, but it's like, like, okay, I get that he clearly overeats, but like, I thought this film was about confronting stereotypes. So why the fat joke? I don't know. Apparently, those are timeless. Because <laughs> the donut eating cop is a timeless thing. <laughs> yeah, apparently, but anyway. <clears throat> And then there's uh, Flash the Sloth. So the sloth sequence was... Uh, Shanna went and saw it with me last night. This was by far her favorite uh, part of the film. And I really enjoyed it. I thought that... I thought it was going to be overdone because they talked about it so much in the trailers. But anyway, what, what did y'all think of it? Yeah, I went into this and Chelsea and I were talking about it before we saw the film. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that, that scene... Well, first off, I didn't know if that scene was going to be in the film. Because a lot of times for some trailers, they create whole new stories or like little mini vignettes that don't actually aren't even a part of the story so i was wondering one is this even going to be a part of the film or was this just a really clever scene that they created that we're not going to use it did not end up being that way and two is this going to be overdone where i don't think it's funny 
it was funny. And what I was even more surprised is how much slower it was in the film. They had yeah. cut a lot of the pauses and waiting and silence yeah. because it was a trailer and they needed to kind of speed it along as fast as they could. And so that's what shocked me is just, uh, it was even longer and more gruesome and painful. <laughs> it was great. Painful. Okay. I, I love that. Not only did he talk slow, but he kept adding word, unnecessary words to the end of his sentences. Hey, flat. Hey. Yes. <laughs> what was the other? What was the girl's name? It's like, hey, Rita, or what's the other sloth? The other sloth. It was Kristen um, Bell. Kristen Bell. Which what was really funny is when I first saw that she was tagged as the sloth um, in like they had a press release of all the the characters and all the names and people that are going to be in the film. And I saw that she was tagged as a sloth, and I just laughed in my heart because I was like, ah. The Kristen Bell sloth meltdown video. Awesome. And then Morgan, later on, she had no idea that that was what they were referring to. I was like, what? Way to call me out, meaty head. <laughs> it no, was funny, though. Well, initially, I was like, oh, cool, she has a cameo, and I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, I'm like, oh, it's called the sloth video. Got it. I'm a sloth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. So I like that. Of course, like they, they're there so long that that it's nighttime by the time they're there. And I love, um, I love Nick Wilde's face during the whole thing. He's like so that, cool. that's such a troll face, man. Yes, <laughs> the troll part where should have been a part where if this was my movie, I would have just superimposed the troll face yes. on the guy, like, and I would just zoom in on. Anyway, but uh, I. I I relate to the troll face while I'm messing with people. Yeah. So I, I felt like I could really relate to Nick in that scene. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Clawhauser flashed a sloth. And then <laughs> Mr. Big, <laughs> I was, I never do this in movie theaters. I was literally laughing uncontrollably during Mr. Big, during the entire segment. Like I even saw the previews and knew what I was getting into and but everything like his voice was just so squeaky and so much like in the Godfather and like I suppressed it really well. Like I am very respectful in the movie theater on like some people. But anyway, um I was but it, it was still uncontrollable. It was uncontrollable, barely suppressed laughter. I'm surprised that I found something so blatantly derivative so hilarious. But but I, I did like I thought it was so funny. It's like, you come into my house. We broke bread together. Grandmama made you a cannoli. I can't even do his voice. It's just so perfect. One thing about that, we were talking in my interview that, you know, they knew it was self-referential and they even, you know, some of the lines were ripped basically from The Godfather. And, And what they did do is they had an actor and they brought him in and they had, he was basically a Marlon Brando impersonator who impersonated the voice to a T. It wasn't trying to put his own spin on it. He was doing the exact scene. And then what they did is they sped it up <laughs> and made it very high pitched, which, uh, you know, makes it work. But just a little behind the scenes about that, which I thought was really fun. And you know what? It's funny because I saw that. I'm like, oh, The Godfather, one of the most iconic films of my time. They're ripping it off. But it totally works because their their world is a representation of our world in a way, as if it evolved in a different way. And of course, they have a Godfather, and instead of it being humans, it's a little Arctic shrew, which is <laughs> and it's so great. I love the scene. Um, you know, you you see the polar bears, and you think like, oh, it's gonna be 
big polar bear. And then it's him. And my favorite, one of my favorite scenes is at the wedding where <laughs> they're dancing and the polar bears are just all standing around <laughs> being bodyguards. Oh, yeah. so good. And I, I loved how there's just different moments or people that Judy interacted with, like that girl that she saved, like, oh, thank you. Sally. Love your hair. <laughs> and uh, later, you know, she oh, turned on my wedding. I have to, darling. <laughs> But Daddy, <laughs> that's the one, Daddy. <laughs> it was really good. So I did, I did enjoy that part, and I loved it. I, I like little twists and turns, and like they were tie things back. It's really curious because Mr. Big is apparently the most notorious crime boss in Zootopia. But crime boss of what? Like, is he like the the bootleg popsicle mastermind of the nation or something? Or like, what? How deep does it go? Because he's not afraid to kill animals in freezing ice cold water. Um, maybe he just threatens them. But anyway, I love how everyone apparently loves The Godfather. It's supposed to be like the greatest film of our time. Or I, I like Citizen Kane better. Actually, Ralph Bakshi doesn't like The Godfather, so you go, man. But I mean, am I the only one who had a problem with how it, it, was, it was pretty much no big deal that they were working with a major crime boss? Like, I don't know. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> apparently, one of the morals of the story is that it's it's okay to. Uh, to collaborate with um, with the mafia to it yeah you know what in the end credit scene which got okay. him, unfortunately they don't show you where Judy and Nick actually arrest him you know saying thanks for your help but no thanks really no okay. <laughs> like, hey <laughs> so and then, his, and then there's this other shrew who comes out with a grenade launcher and say hello to my little friends but anyway wrong movie um anyway oh also speaking of characters. Mason Smith totally called it months ago that the mayor was going to be the bad guy. And I was partially right. And you can cite this. It's on rotoscopers.com in one of the message boards um, for one of the articles. But um, I was partially right. And then Disney comes out and, and pulls out another surprise villain. Dun, dun, dun. That is sneaky. I... I knew something bad was going to happen when they're like, okay, we'll make it to the police station through this dark, spooky, abandoned, you know, under construction museum, <laughs> you know? I, I was like, oh, someone's going to jump them. And as soon as I saw Bellwether, who um, who you think is the good guy, um, I was like, uh-oh, something's going on here. Apparently, Shanna knew that it was Bellwether when she saw that the uh, the sheep or the goats were, uh, were in on the... Um, the meth lab, not the meth lab, the Howl, um, Night Howl lab. Hey, did you get it when he turned around? He's like, all right, let me get Walter and Jesse in here. <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think Chelsea got it. So in Breaking Bad, Walter and Jesse are the two guys who make the meth. Uh, and, exactly. um, I, I've never watched a single episode of Breaking Bad. Laughing at that. And, yeah, I, again, it's another very self-referential, not self-referential, it's not referencing Disney, but it's yeah. referencing our culture and you know, things that are very big. And Time. the the meth lab duo in the little trailer is very <laughs> iconic now. You know, it's kind of getting up there. It's with, you know, the Godfather and things that will be, our generation will be known for, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> when aliens visit this planet, they were like, boy, they really liked methamphetamines or they, they didn't. A lot of people didn't do it. They just idolized the people that made them. <laughs> but anyway, this is highly illogical. But anyway, um, I, I totally called it. I knew that whenever you have one of these societal um, references, the guy in charge is always uh, the bad guy. He's always the careless, um, you know, the the reckless capitalist or the careless, um, 
you know, Slumlord or, you know, whatever. It's like Ned Beatty's character on Rango, you know, it's so obvious that he's the bad guy because he's the guy in charge, you know. But anyway, uh, again, I was partially right. I like how he just doesn't care. The uh, mayor, is it Lionheart, I guess? He, um, he just goes to jail and he's like totally fine with it. He's like, yeah, whatever. I did it. I'll protect the cities. I guess it was a mistake. But now I'm in prison. <laughs> I get free room and board and meals. But anyway, um, it's pretty interesting. I wonder if the plot was a little rushed, but I I kind of liked the twist at the end. Yeah, uh, one thing I loved about this film that it was this mystery buddy cop film that we haven't seen in a long time. Basically, since the Great Mouse Detective, we yeah. haven't seen this mystery whodunit caper sort of film. So I really enjoyed that because it was a, a genre of of filmmaking and storytelling that we don't see all the time in animation. And, you know, animation is not a genre. It has the ability to tell lots of genres or tell a story. Um, so this was one we were able to go back into, which I enjoyed for Disney, um, having not done that for a while. So, yeah. and, so going back, like, we aren't really going chronologically through this, but it, there were so many points in this film that it just went from scene to scene to scene, and that may have seemed rushed to some people, but I thought it worked so well, you know, because there's this mystery of the otter going missing, and so they were following his footsteps. But before we do that, we see uh, Nick with the heist that he pulls in the elephant popsicle shop um, and, and what he's able to do there, basically to resell it and make some profit and then tie that to the otter. And then the otter is actually, like, secretly a nudist and goes to this place, and, and it just snowballs from there and all these cool places we get to explore in Zootopia. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was it was rushed per se. I thought there was a ton of dialogue in the movie, which is kind of weird, but I mean, it's not Pixar. But um, yeah, I the action just worked. I love the... Um, I think one of my favorite action sequences in the film is when Judy is pursuing uh, the Tuke of Weaseltown um, through the... Um, the tiny, the tiny people land, or the tiny animal land, and uh, it, she's like careful not to like make all the houses like fall over and all this stuff. And she's walking around, and people are screaming like she's Godzilla, and um, she saves the, the mob boss's uh, Mr. Big's uh, daughter from the giant donut and all this stuff. But I love the little tubes while he's on the railroad track, and he's like having to squeeze himself in all the different tube. Uh, <laughs> It's just, it really worked. It's like, that's how you use animation to make a chase scene entertaining. That's what, um, you know, that's what separates this from just a regular crime, crime show, like, you know, 22 Jump Street or something like that. I don't know. Something that's got like high action, but also humor. So how do you feel about the actual plot point of it being these animals going feral? Oh, I love love my drug message. And um, I thought it was... I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was scary. Like I've heard, I've been um, checking out like the movie reviews and the, the buzz, you know, the, what the public have said about the film and a lot of, um, I won't say overly concerned parents, but parents who probably took their kids to the theater when they like their three-year-olds to the theater or something like that have complained that the movie was very frightening in some scenes. Like there's a lot of jump scares. There's a lot of, huh? It was PG, right? Like PG. People actually don't watch that anymore. Like no, if it's PG thirteen and above, then okay, I'm not taking my kid. But PG G, same same thing. Oh, dude, I've heard horror stories of how how young um, how young a kids were going to see Deadpool when it came out. Oh, uh, I know. 
Heaven, heaven help us. But anyway, that scene reminded me the scary scene where they're going feral. And this is a comparison that probably no one has made of this film to this other utopia. We're back. When the <laughs> dinosaurs are going back to their feral yes. nature, you know, and they're in, and you go and you see them behind bars, and that's probably a little scarier. That is a very frightening scene. That one is, yeah. Uh, but, you know, this was a screw eyes and. Yes. Oh, yeah. There was definitely something there because it's it's a not um, screw eyes um, is uh, he's obsessed with fear. He wants to instill fear, and the whole point of the of the what is it night howler um, pandemic or or crisis was to instill fear of these um, supposedly savage uh, predators, and I thought that that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that using using fear of different groups um, for uh, for the purpose of gaining political power is very relevant, and um, the movie was very very literal with it. But anyway, um, I thought that some of the there are some shots where they're going through that lab, and there's all the animals in cages, and they look up, and the panther from the jungle area was there, um, and all that stuff. Like the lighting is very creepy. We haven't even talked about like the lighting and the texturing in this film, like we're so spoiled. Like we take it for granted, but it was very beautiful. I, I I'm guessing they used, um, an updated version of the Hyperion M- engine from uh, big hero six, but, uh, overall the, the lighting is, is pretty brilliant. Actually, Kelly, one of my, um, uh, my director from, uh, when I was working on a short film at A&M, she, uh, um, she was a lighting apprentice for this film. She's actually in the credits, which is cool. Go Aggies. Whoop. Shout out. Huh? Shout out. So what were some other scenes that you liked in the film or characters, plot points? I um there's something to be said about Idris Elba and how uh, and Bogo's character. I really like him. He's very tough on Judy. Like he is the forefront of telling her that she cannot follow her dreams and yet I and yet there was never a part in the film where I disrespected him because Idris Elba just commands this presence with his voice. And so I don't know how they did it with the film, but he ended up being a respectable character, and I'm glad he wasn't a villain. I'm glad he was just the the slow and steady um, influence of of justice and tradition, I guess. Yeah, he wasn't going to give her any you know preferential treatment or go go soft on her because she was new. Like this is what it is, so take it and leave it. I like at the very end of her first day, she's in her apartment, and then there's those because those, oh, those two dudes. You guys, and they you could hear them through the wall, and they're yelling at really loud. We're not apologizing. <laughs> and then she has the carrots for one um, TV dinner. Yeah. And like, shrimp. Oh, so good. Like, every scene basically was super, uh, I don't want to say memorable, because you can't necessarily call it to, to memory at this point in time, but yeah. just, uh, they were great, and it, it definitely cool. served its purpose in mm-hmm. that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are so many cool parts of the film. Like the the action was really good. Like I said, um, the detective parts were really cool. The uh, part where um, you know Judy one up Nick, you know, so initially he's, uh, you know, she records him with the the pen later, and then uses that again. Hustle, honey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I also liked how um, how um, uh, he gets. Tax evasion. Oh yeah, that too. That's pretty clever. And then uh, it's actually really scary. Um, <laughs> then I like how Nick and his compadre like they use all the different environments to make their bootleg um, pop pop. Yeah. 
popsicles. Mm-hmm. And they go out to Tundra Town and they they dig the little paw prints and, and stuff. And um, I just thought it was it was really funny. But yeah, a lot of really funny parts. Oh, and uh, when um, and when some people attribute this to like weird characterization, like Nick Wilde's character wasn't very consistent. But I loved when um, Assistant Mayor Bellwether is looking up the traffic cams um, in her office and. Um, Nick is like playing with her hair and he's like, they, like other man, like nor- normally she would never let me get this close, but her hair's so fluffy <laughs> and all that stuff. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Fur, like fur in this film, like the technical uh, achievements of the fur was just mind boggling. As I understand it, that was one of the biggest challenges in the film. Now, that, in my interview, I asked, you know, what is the, the biggest technical challenge? You know, with Frozen, it was snow with, tangled it was hair and he says fur he said even in um when they were making bolt or other movies they make one one character they make one um model for hair and then they you know change the color make it curly blah blah, blah. Um, even in bolt they use human hair on the animal so they didn't go and everybody pretty much has the same hair plug-in or hair shader it's yep. just colored but for this, there were 64 species of animals in the film, and they made sure that every animal had hair that was very realistic to that creature. That's I think it shows of a work. lot of detail and a lot of work that went into this. Yes. Contrast, um, contrast uh, Jude, Judy's fur with uh, Yak's and his, like, scraggly, mangy hair. You know, um, it there is, there is so much, like... Um, I guess you could say, uh, yeah, variety. And, and man, that's a huge technical achievement. People don't know, but your render times just go through the roof when you're, do, when you're trying to do hair. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Anyway, all in all, I, I, came through this, I came out of this film smiling and, and satisfied and um, <laughs> slimy yet satisfying, but that has nothing to do with this. But um, I, thought it was, I thought it would be worth it. To address the dissenters. So if you go to RottenTomatoes.com, out of the 142 critics' reviews that gave uh, that gave ratings for Zootopia, only two out of 142 gave it a rotten rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Now, before uh, all of our listeners go out and grab their torches and pitchforks, um, I want to ask, did you actually read them? Like, um, I, I thought that... I read both of them because there's only two. It takes like five minutes of your time. Both had a lot of good things to say about the film. I think both of them seem to think that the, um, well, actually one of them thought that the anti-prejudice message was inappropriate. um, Totally. Like kids should not be exposed to prejudice, even in animated films, even if, the main message of the film is against prejudice. And to the real world. Yeah, I mean, like, what I introduced to it at some point. Yeah, um, I think the same one also said that they didn't like that in the film it's unrealistic in how the predators don't uh, eat um, prey. Like, it distorts the reality that actual animals really don't live well together in nature. And I'm like, yeah, but this isn't nature. This is, this is us. Like, Zootopia is us. It's not nature. Like, go see Watership Down if you want a naturalistic representation of how predators act around prey. It's a movie, exactly. I mean, we get to tell the story that we want, and it's these are talking animals. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. are we trying to say that this misrepresents 
what really happens in the world. This is nothing to what really happens. Right. It's like, you know, did you think, were you mad at Shark Tale for not accurately representing, um, you know, car wash, underwater car washes in the Great Barrier Reef? You know? uh, anyway, um, the, they probably like Finding Nemo, though. Um, but the, uh, the, and here are a couple points that I kind of start to agree with. They said that they, the film, um, it speaks out against stereotyping, obviously, but it uses animal stereotypes for cheap laughs, according to them. So they said, like, all sloths are slow in the movie. All the wolves howl uncontrollably, which was hilarious. <laughs> Everybody was laughing during that part. <laughs> but it, it's like, yeah, you'll, you'll start a howl. I can't help it. Um, I like their faces. They're just... <laughs> um, and so they argued that um, the people... Yeah, but it's just in their biology to be slow. But isn't the movie about, you know, it's not in your biology? You can't say that, so I don't know. They also uh, were confused that the animals live in kind of segregate, segregated biomes like Tundra Town, the desert district or whatever, despite the message, the film's message about this melting pot, about diversity, about animals living alongside each other. And I kind of, I thought about that too, and I was like, yeah, why, why are they kind of separated, but even though we live in a society that, you know, that we want to be diverse yeah, for humans. And he, there are certain things that make us different. And with these animals, if I am a tundra animal, I need to spend the majority of my time in cold areas. It's what I like. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not that they're around their own kind. It's that they're in an environment where they feel comfortable. So I totally get that. Like I, I believe that they were going a little too far in that. It, but what was really interesting is that um, a lot of my peers, uh, like in, in the business program here at A&M and just thumbing through social media, uh, this happens a lot in animated films. The attitude of people who really enjoy, um, who are really like very, very much fans of a certain film, and they see that someone didn't like it. Uh, a lot of my peers were pretty upset that these two reviewers like dared to, to, get, to give Zootopia a rotten score. And by rotten, um, I don't think it they didn't give them like a 20% or like a half star, one star. I think they were like two and a half stars, what they gave it. Um, but it reminded me of something that Mayor Bellwether said there in the third act, and I'm just going to adapt it for for uh, Rotten Tomatoes, you know, positive reviews of Zootopia outnumber negative reviews 70 to 1, united against a common enemy, will be unstoppable. So... <laughs> don't be like don't be like mayor bellwether and you know give give the dissenters a chance even though even though you may be convinced that the film is flawless and can never never be anything bad about it you know i i always enjoy reading the uh, the other side of the of the arguments for whether an animated film is good or not anyway uh like i said i um i really enjoyed the film like as a whole I liked Zootopia. I would be, I liked it. I enjoyed it more than Frozen. I enjoyed it more than Wreck-It Ralph. It's really neck and neck there with Tangled. And I really, really, really wanted to give it a five-star rating. Uh, like, okay, well, let me just go on with, with why I wanted to give it a five-star rating. I was totally captivated by the first few minutes of the film. Like, I was hooked. Like, little Judy and her cute little dramatic, like, play about the history of Zootopia and stuff. And, the way they set up her story, you know, from when she was very young, it got me so excited to learn more about Judy and, and watch her be the cop that she wants to be. Um, and within this never happens to me. Within the first couple of minutes, I was ready to declare Zootopia the perfect CG animated film. And, and I'm not I'm not lying. That's not hyperbole. Like I was totally prepared to give it the coveted Mason five star rating. 
So what changed? And um, I hope that no one takes this the wrong way. And I know I'm not the only person who feels this. I love the message of of um, giving all animals a chance that, you know, you can, in a world where you can be anyone, you must be kind. You know, I, I totally love that. And I subscribe to that. And I try to make that one of the tenets of how I live my life. But man, I haven't felt so strongly and forcefully preached to since I watched Horton Hears a Who. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, please don't get me wrong. Like, the anti-prejudice message in, in Zootopia is inherently good. Like, we need it. Highly relevant. But Disney's method of delivering said message, in my opinion, was uncharacteristically heavy-handed. And a lot of it had to do with the dialogue. So let me explain before everyone, like, starts shooting arrows at me or whatever. I, um... Uh, Steve Hickner, he has this rule about storytelling uh, that's called show me, don't tell me. I felt like throughout the film, uh, rather than showing us the terrible effects of prejudice and how to overcome it and work together to overcome it, I felt like through the dialogue they were telling me that it was wrong rather than showing me that it was wrong. And it started nearly a second after the first scene, like uh, Judy's folks uh, walk her out of the out of the play and they're at the fair or whatever. And I think the dad says something like, you know, it's okay to have dreams as long as you don't believe in them that much too much. And I'm like, what a blatant cheap way of delivering that line. Like, isn't there a more creative way to say that Judy's parents don't believe, don't, don't share her belief that she can be anything she wants to be. I don't know. And it was pretty much nonstop throughout the film. And so contrast that to the scene in uh, the one scene in Zootopia that I felt wasn't like totally inundated with dialogue. And coincidentally, the scene that impacted me the most was when uh, Nick Wilde explains to, to Judy um, why, why he puts on his face of confidence and obliviousness to everyone around him, despite the fact that he's this um, kind of hated animal. Um, in, uh, when he reveals his past and what happened when he tried to join like the Ranger Scouts or whatever, um, like they show us what happened to him rather than, than him telling us what happened. And that was the most powerful part of the film for me. And um, I really think that um, I wish the whole film could have been like that. And uh, of course, the, of course, Zootopia is about, it has a very heavy social commentary. And I think it was a little too heavy sometimes. Like I really didn't, maybe, maybe people need to help me out with this, but I really didn't get the part where Judy tells Clawhauser that like only rabbits can call each other cute without it being offensive. Like, no one in the theater laughed at that gag and it was just kind of awkward. And I felt like that part was counterproductive to the message of the film. Um, I felt that it, it put up a wall instead of bringing the two animals together, like, like the message of the film should be. And so I don't know. I still have to, I only saw it last night. Yeah. I only saw it last night and I have to um, kind of think through it some more, but uh, I do feel like the message was heavy handed at times. And um and so, I mean, that's just my my opinion. I don't know if I'm alone in this or not, but um, that's the reason why I don't consider Zootopia to be the perfect um, CG animated film. Although in the beginning, I was totally prepared to do that. And okay. what would you rate it? Four stars. I'll give it uh, four stars. It's a very, very good animated film, and I really enjoyed it. So 
I'm going to give it four and a half stars and a very strong four and a half stars. I left this movie. I loved the film. I was talking about it and I was telling everyone, even today, I told someone, you have to go see it. It is so good. Um, it, it is very, very strong. And, and when you compare this to Big Hero 6, it blows Big Hero 6 out of the water. I, I love this film so much more than Big Hero 6. Not saying that Big Hero 6 is a bad film, but uh, this movie was witty. It was very, uh, you know, had pop culture references, but done in the right way. It had this mystery buddy cop element that it was just very intriguing. It was funny. It was well done. I thought all of the characters were very, very well thought out and fleshed out. I thought that Judy was a very strong character as well as Nick, and they paired very nicely together. So um, not per not a five-star film, you know, with, you know, the Beauty and the Beasts of the World, I guess, but very great and, and, and wonderful showing by Walt Disney Animation Studios. Yeah. Um, shows that they are on their A-game right now. That is the place to be. Yeah, A-game is definitely it. Like, Disney is coming in strong, and I cannot wait for Moana. <laughs> I am really excited for that one, too. But, okay, as far as Utopia goes, I'm... Okay, I left the theater being so just very content with how everything worked out. I liked it. It was, I left a very happy feeling. But at the same time, I had a hard time going, like, I had a hard time putting a rating to this film. It was just one of those strange ones. I think because of all of the, all of the nuances and all the, the tracks that it took you down, you didn't quite know where I, I don't know I, I didn't know where to quite put it and so it was it was one that I was like I really wanted to see again before we did this episode unfortunately I wasn't able to like a lot of people have been saying oh my gosh best Disney movie ever and I really can't say that but like I said in my other review it is very consistently great with all of the the fantastic movies that have been coming out um I'm gonna give it I'm going to split the difference. 4.25 stars for you guys. 4.25? You can't do that. Only Myra can do that. I've done it before. I can do it again. Um, <laughs> you heard it first. All right. So we are going to move into our voicemail segment. Uh, we had four voicemails. And so let's jump right into them. Our first one is from first-time caller, Jesse. Hi, Rotoscopers. Uh, my name is Jesse Jacobson calling to you from Orem, Utah. Um, I've been a follower of your uh, podcast and, and website since uh, 2012, although this is my first time calling in and leaving a voicemail, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, I, I have loved following you guys, and I just got home from uh, serving a mission for my church, and so it's been fun to catch up on all of the, the old podcasts that I missed, and I'm so glad that you guys are still going strong and uh, congratulations for hitting over 100 episodes. Um, I just think that's incredible, and I've just loved being able to um, hear your thoughts and, and feel like I've made friends who um, have the same passion as me, and so it's it's really fun to listen to you guys. Um, I just thought I'd call in and leave my, my review for Zootopia. Um, I saw it opening night, and I'm super excited to hear all of um, your thoughts on this film. I... I personally thought that it was just fantastic. I would say besides besides Tangled, it was probably the the best film that Disney Animation has has put out recently. Um, and I love I love buddy cop films. I love mysteries, and so I'm I'm particularly fond of 
of Zootopia. I loved the world that they created. Um, I loved the mystery element, and I just thought that all the characters had really good character development, especially, especially Nick Wilde, um, who is now one of my favorite Disney characters. Um, I thought the animation was obviously just gorgeous, and and the music was beautiful, the score was, and then, of course, Try Everything by Shakira. Um, it's super catchy, and I actually really loved that song. I was I was worried when they first announced that Shakira was going to be singing a song for, for Zootopia, but it, it worked out really well. Um, and I loved the plot twist of the villain. Spoilers to everybody who hasn't watched it. Um, I just thought that everything worked out really well and with that with having the assistant mayor um come out as the the villain you know i as their message was about uh, prejudices and those that are oppressed um i thought it was interesting that they took someone who was oppressed and and had them oppress the other people that were that were the ones that were being prejudiced against them so it was kind of a really interesting take that um i thought was very bold and i speaking of that whole message I thought that it was handled just perfectly. I felt like they didn't push it on you too much, and I thought that, um, you know, it was it was a great message about equality, but it wasn't too one-sided. It was it was very well-rounded, and just all of us need to just try a little bit better. And I I just I loved everything about this film. I honestly. All right, there you have it. <laughs> you left us in suspense. Honestly, what? <laughs> well thanks jesse for calling in so he he triggered some things that we didn't talk about so the music mm-hmm. done by michael giacchino this is his very first animated film that he's done for disney he yeah. has a few shorts for disney like the ballad of nessie and a few other things uh how to hook up your home theater um other other ones like that and i thought the score was great but then there's shakira's song and that's i agree with jesse when it was announced shakira was going to be a character in the film, uh, let alone having a song in the film. I was like, oh, no, no, Disney, you're better than that. But, you know, she was always <laughs> hey, a she, We always like Shakira. I, I, I have nothing wrong with Shakira, but I just, I'm the pop star as your main person. Oh, yeah. And what I liked about her is she wasn't the main character. She was always, no. she was always present. So you remembered her and knew that she was there. Uh, you know, through the app and through her the very first thing, you walk in is Utopia. Welcome to Zootopia, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end, the culmination with her actually seeing her. Well, we saw her at the rally and then we saw her in the flesh later. So good payoff. Yeah, I I enjoyed her song. Um, I heart Shakira. She's great. So. All right. Our next one is from Rachel. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's Rachel. I... I'm excited to hear your thoughts on Zootopia. I really, really enjoyed it. I've actually seen it twice, and I thought it was really creative and just a lot of fun. And I did have hear an interesting point of view, though, from a friend of mine where he said that uh, the last four Disney movies have all had surprise, unexpected villains. Uh, and I thought that was actually a, a good point that, you know, we've had in Big Hero 6 and Wreck-It Ralph and Frozen uh, and now in Zootopia, they've all had these sort of surprise villains as opposed to like Mother Gothel and Tangled. And I was just wondering what you thought about that. And, you know, if you'd like the sort of the more traditional or if you like the surprise villain better. So well, thanks so much. Bye. Hmm. That's interesting that she puts it in, in comparison with Mother Gothel. And you see that that is kind of the the traditional way of, 
you enter the protagonist, enter the antagonist together, and it's their build up together mm-hmm. until the end, and then it comes and everything is resolved in some way, shape, or form. And um, it is very different how this trend that they're on. They almost it almost makes you expect the unexpected. Like I wasn't expecting it in this film because. They've done it so many times. They, well, I don't know. I just felt like they've done it so many times. Like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. why would they do it again? But <laughs> but this film didn't actually, like, I wasn't leading, thinking, like, who is the villain? Well, mm-hmm. maybe I was, because there was this mystery of, like, it was more like, I'm trying to uncover what's happening. Yeah. But that I wasn't necessarily trying to think if this was a villain. I just wanted to uncover the, the case. Right. Which, obviously, there is a villain mastermind behind that, but that wasn't the focus. Right. But initially, once we did find out, yeah. I feel like Judy and Nick are racing, uh, like fighting against time, and like it's more the, in pursuit of like solving the mystery and finding the otter, um, Emmett Otterton, um, uh, rather than there's this villain that they're working against. In fact, there really isn't a bad guy in the film until maybe the very, very end when they introduce the um, the, the guys who grow the um, the whatever the night. We Night call him not Hallers. Oh, can, we didn't talk about him very much. I liked him. the get is from the south. But anyway, um, I really liked him at the end where he's like, that was, uh, that was coming from a lot of self-doubt from my childhood that arose in aggression. <laughs> it's like, oh, you've been, you've, been, you've been having sessions. <laughs> good, on you, good on you, man. He's a big man to admit that. Uh, all right, next one is from Dylan. Check it out. Hi, Rotoscopers. This is Dylan Mentis, and I just had the most beautifully Disney night. I bought a Mickey Mouse decal for my car, and I just saw Zootopia. For starters, this might possibly be my favorite movie in the revival era. Maybe. Right when this movie started, I felt at home. It almost goes without saying, but the animation was gorgeous. Like that scene in the beginning when Judy's on the train going into Zootopia and it brings you through all the different lands. Ah, Disney magic. What really shines, though, is the story, which on the outside is kind of a caper slash mystery. But what it's really about is our differences and history. Shout out to Disney for making a movie about race relations by using animals. The cleverly written dialogue and characters mirrored so much of the issues that the world is having today. This is a very special film, and I believe that everybody could benefit from watching and taking the lessons to heart. Some might say that it could be a little heavy-handed for kids in in general, but I think it was tastefully done, and I believe this movie could help change people, can help change the world, which is the magic of Disney and why I love them. I hope you guys loved it, too. Bye! What an eloquent speaker. Yes. Miss Dylan, Dylan Mentes, why haven't you been been sending voicemails in a really long time? I've missed your voice. Dylan, your voice is so molasses. <laughs> so that is one thing. But if this film, this is one of the reasons why it had to be made without anthropomorphic animals, or because if this was made with humans and the different races, yeah. it would be very it so, yeah, it would be so literal. It would, it would be so arms about this mm-hmm. film, basically, right? Uh, but this, the way to cover it and, and tell the story and the message and the theme without yeah right what i really think is uh what what's interesting is how um dylan took uh one meaning from it but 
other people might take other meanings, you know, like how Judy is a female and, and she's, you know, in, you know, stuff like that. So um, it's, it's, I mean, Zootopia is definitely not just about racism. It's about all the isms, all the prejudices that, that society harbors and um, how that needs to change and how we can change it. Well, and yeah. It's interesting how everyone's kind of taking their own interpretation from it. And, but you hit the, you hit the nail on the head there, Dylan, in that it is for everyone is for everyone who wants to change or wants to see change. Very powerful movie for that. Parallels with, you know, even the mammal inclusion initiative mm-hmm. and affirmative action and how oh. the, yeah. So there, there were lots of different things that paralleled our, our real, real life. But then um, it wasn't about that. And even with like affirmative action and, and, going to college and whatnot it i felt like where was i reading this recently someone who was one of the first people who went to college after the fact and they felt one of the first black guys mm-hmm. or girls who went to college um through permanent action and they felt that when they were there people were looking at them as if you took someone else's spot because mm-hmm. you had to fill a quota yeah. um that very much paralleled judy's personal journey where you know she was just there to you know oh we have this policy said um i don't want i'm not just your token rabbit you know yeah. that's very direct very literal yeah so all right next and last is eric perhaps Well, we will wrap it up with Eric next time because nothing went through. Uh, I can hear it perfectly, actually. Y'all, y'all couldn't hear it? He was saying Mason is by far the most attractive rotoscoper and uh, the greatest. Uh, he's going to be the greatest animator of all time. So uh, I totally agree, Eric. Thank you. Sense. I agree. All right. Hear, here. <laughs>
to check it out and see the perks of being a patron. I want to give a shout out to um, four new patrons who joined in the past few weeks, Fadi, Thomas, Meep Z, and Mary. So thank you so much and welcome to Roto Nation. Yay! That is all we have. You can find us on our individual locations. Rotoscopers, you can find everywhere on social media at Rotoscopers. You can also find me, Morgan Stradling, on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, the coolest of Snapchats <laughs> at Morgan Stradling. Uh, if you don't know how to spell that, then show notes, a good place to go. <laughs> Chelsea Robson, Twitter, her website, Instagram, and hey, Periscope from time to cop time at Chelsea Robson. And lastly, the great, illustrious Mason is Mason SMTX where all good social media platforms are found. Yep, masonsmithportfolio.com. Check it out. Yep, check me out, y'all. All right, our next episode is actually going to be on the Don Hertzfeldt shorts. We did do a preview of one of his shorts, his more recent shorts, um, in our last episode where we reviewed the Oscar-nominated shorts. This, we are going back to a few other of his shorts. There was a series of three that tell a story. So um, this was a patron choice. Mm-hmm. And so we are definitely going to do that. And uh, it's, hey, back to Shortsville. Mm-hmm. We are back. And we will also be discussing the crazy results of the of the Oscars on that one, too. So ah. definitely, if you are interested in seeing our... Um, our reactions to the Oscar shorts. Check it out. We already did that. We did it last well, time. I, I know, but like what happened? How... Why can't we talk about it now? Okay, then talk, well, let's, let's talk about it now. We'll talk about it next time. So stay tuned. <laughs> next week or two weeks. <laughs> All right. Until next time, guys. We are the Rotoscopers. I don't even care anymore getting that right. Yeah. If you don't understand why we're always complaining, it's because when three people try to talk on recording it just doesn't work so from here on out we are going to have a button that we push which is the ceremonial <laughs> we are the <laughs> so get ready guys next time. Have a-